Welcome back to another episode of Black Tides, an organization dedicated to amplifying the voices of black professionals in tech, informatics, data science, epidemiology, and the social sciences. I'm your host, Odane Dunbar, an informatics analyst who is passionate about using data for social good. On this episode of Black Tides, I have two special guests who are both in the informatics uh, field as as well as I am, and we're very excited to sort of like uh, discuss, you know, what informatics is, how it looks, you know, in the real world, and also the impact that COVID had on the field as a whole. Um, one thing that we all share is uh, the fact that all of us graduated during the pandemic and entered informatics roles. And so I have AJ and Chinidum who are going to introduce themselves and then we're going to have a lot of uh, interesting conversations around informatics and COVID and what, you know, future states and how everything looks after that. Uh, So if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay, so I'll introduce myself. My name is AJ Adejare. I graduated uh, by uh, in at University of Cincinnati in biomedical informatics, I'm currently at Johnson and Johnson, where I work on real world data for Janssen Pharmaceuticals. Yes, and my name is Chinaduma Hobuche. I graduated out of Rutgers University with a master's in biomedical informatics, and I currently work as a clinical data analyst over at Penn State Health. And uh, I'm sure you guys know who I am already. Uh, My name is Odane Dunbar, and I graduated last year out of the University of Central Florida uh, with a master's in health informatics. And currently now I work as an informatics analyst um, for a health plan uh, that's based out of um, Melbourne. So I think, you know, the first uh, place that I want to start is the definition of informatics. Um, everybody looks at it differently, so every so the definitions might be vary, but I think for the most part there there's a one uh, commonality among it, and so uh, we can start off by uh, discussing what how we define informatics based on what we do um, on a day to day basis. Um, I'll start with how my day looks, and you know try to define informatics from that perspective. Um, so as an informatics analyst. My job, I would say, is the combination of two specific roles, one being maybe a data engineer and the other being the data analyst. So the thing is, before you can analyze data, you have to have data uh, ready, prepped and, you know, in a uh, stored in a, uh, in a secure location where it can be accessed. So I probably uh, divide my day up where you know, if I'm, I'm maybe building pipelines for different um, data intensive tasks, um, you know, sometimes there's some ad hoc requests, maybe the, uh, the CEO or the CFO wants to um, compare something really quick. And so I have to pull the data from different disparate um, locations, uh, and then pull, pull it all into one location so it can be analyzed. And so that's probably I would say the two hats uh, that I wear. Um, so I would say the informatics more on a system side, the data engineering, and then the other half is um, on, on the analytics side. So that is funny enough uh, how I 
view informatics in a way. Um, the one thing I want to just kind of take it back to is how do we describe biomedical informatics? And what I thought as one of the best thoughts is that it is not computers being better than the brain or humans, but it's computers plus humans working together in order to look into medical and health-based problems to, in, to improve overall medicine and to improve patients' lives. And I think that is the approach I took when I was doing my work at University of Cincinnati, where I looked into race disparities. And in fact, um, my work focused on that. And so we did have to think about pulling data from different sources, as well as generating data and then looking for, for different disparities. So it's not just about, oh, what model you could throw on there. It's actually before then, which is what data do you have? What data do you need? And how can you create a way of gaining knowledge from it? Working as a clinical data analyst right now, for me, it's like um, this data pretty much runs the decision-making of the whole... I work for the surgery department, so pretty much the data I'm pulling and um, implementing pretty much helps run the whole surgery department. And without it, it's like they don't know which surgeons should get block time or not. So... Overall, like if you look at the bigger picture, I look at a mix of healthcare and technology, but mostly how can we use um, data analytics to help make better decisions for um, the overall health organization, but not only just the health organization, it could also trickle down to the patients, it could trickle down to um, health administration, it could even... Um, in my case, sometimes the data could even trickle up to the COOs, the leadership committees, the executive boards that are like running the whole hospital. Mm-hmm. So for them, it's like they depend on this. They depend on this data to influence their decision making. So it's a nice little like mix of clouds, you know, to help. Um, yeah, to help make uh, problem solving better. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I don't think that there's one specific way to look at it because it also depends on how the organization uh, look, um, deals with their data. And it's also uh, kind of like what AJ mentioned. Um, informatics is is pretty broad. And so, you know, on one side of it, you know, you're looking into, okay, what kind of data do we have? What kind of data do we need? And like you mentioned, what type of problems are we trying to solve? And does the data even answer those questions? Um, But then there's also the other side of informatics where you're looking into what software should we go with? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, should we go with a homegrown solution or should we go with one of the the big ones like CERN or, or EPIC? And from that standpoint, maybe, you, you know, you're a credential trainer who just deals with, you know, training users on how to use the system. And, you know, from that standpoint, maybe you're not doing a lot of uh, working with a lot of data because you're more on the front face inside, or maybe your job is to, um, you know, do different go lives, or I think informatics is just so broad. And that's one of the reasons why I liked it, because you know, as I established my career, I wanted to make sure that 
you know, I'm always playing the long-term game. And the beauty, the beauty of informatics is right now, you know, I'm on the data side, but let's say 10 years, I want to be on the project management side. I don't have to like go back to school and, you know, you know, pursue a different path. I can just branch off from whatever, you know, the knowledge that I've already gathered. And so that, that's what makes uh, informatics so unique and so interesting. Like, I, I don't think I've ever had a day at work where I, I'm just sitting, you know, twiddling my thumbs and saying I'm bored. Like, there's just always something new to play with. What does a typical day um, for you guys look like? I know mine's a little bit different. You know, I'm, I work from home. And so that looks a lot different from um, AJ, who's at uh, Johnson & Johnson working in with pharma. So I'm, in, I'm curious, uh, how, does, how would you guys uh, describe your typical day? So I'm going to take this into two parts. So first, I'm going to focus on where I was at University of Cincinnati, and then I'll where I'm at right now, which is at Johnson Johnson. So when I was a researcher back at UC, my normal day was to wake up, of course, look at some emails so that I could see, you know, what's going on in um, the informatics world, as well as, you know, papers that I needed to read upon, to triage. And then the great thing about what I got to do was I would, for a certain time, get up, go see patients where I would acquire their data through a platform I developed called The Gambler. It's a health utility assessment platform. Acquire their data through a series of health utility assessment methods, and then come back after so much time and go back and analyze it and really try to see how patients, you know, have ideas and thoughts about in this case, uh, different treatments for hemodialysis. So that's where I was. And that was a top of just getting to, to learn more about EHR data, working with it, among other aspects. And then, of course, the occasional day would be just writing. So it was kind of a mix of that. So now I'll get to where I'm at now, which before I continue, just to uh, clarify, my views and opinions do not represent uh, the opinions and views of my employer. And where I start each day is that I do a lot of literature research. And by looking into the literature, I look into how we can leverage data sources for that literature. So there may be a new target that we may be looking for to see how can this drug improve patients? And I sit a lot of time just looking through the literature before even making a decision on how to attack the data, which then later will turn into how to develop the model. And that's interesting because I appreciated what I did in my dissertation work where I did similar the same thing. And the only difference was back then as a PhD student, I thought that I knew a lot. I thought I was already up to speed. I thought all I needed to do was like run, read a couple of papers, just jump into it. But that discipline that I learned really applies to this job where a lot of people figure out real quickly that it does not matter what models you make. It matters the data and the intent behind it because you can make any algorithm work. I can get you any accuracy that is clearly above and beyond what is before. But if the model doesn't make any sense because the data that we're acquiring using doesn't make any sense, then it's useless. 
how does that day look different from yours, Chin? Completely different. Uh, <laughs> AJ, see, AJ has more of like a, like a research-based um, day. As for me, I have more of like a, pra- um, a practitioner-based day. Um, pretty much I wake up every day. I uh, go to the office. I actually shared the office with uh, two other schedulers. So it's cool to like, you know, see that and be a part of like the OR room, the OR team. So then um, like AJ, I like log on into my computer. I check my emails to see, you know, if any new projects are coming up or any other updates on current projects. And um, pretty much I uh, update all the spreadsheets I need to, especially with um, block utilization, which is like the most important thing. You know, I always keep track of, um, I always keep track of like the case times and like how long some of these cases are running, you know, CERN pretty much generates the data like on like almost like an hourly basis, sometimes faster. And then I have to be the one to like extract that data and like put it into my own spreadsheet and actually make that data look presentable. So I think um, um, the, the uniqueness in you know, it's kind of like what, you know, the the theme here, right? Um, it started off with how we all defined informatics. And mm-hmm. now it's how informatics looks like, you know, on our day-to-day. Um, AJ mentioned um, that um, he would go and see patients, right? And I, d- I don't see patients. <laughs> Me neither. And so neither. <laughs> um, it, it just shows you the polarity um, of, of, of what you can get into in the field, um, I think AJ is doing some really interesting stuff, um, especially with the gambler. Um, he probably knows more about that than I do, but I just think that it's nice where you can have a vision or even a goal. Maybe, maybe there's, maybe it's something that affected you. Um, for me, that was, I did not like going to the doctor because I had a concern and leaving without answers you know i didn't i didn't like going there and being more confused after i left than when i went there and so you know so what got me into inf- informatics was i wanted to play a part in getting the right information to the right person at the right time so they can make you know the right health decision you know for for them and this is not to say that doctors don't you know provide good deci- um good uh, information for you to make you know health health, uh, health decisions, but, um, just, there were, there were a lot, a lot of, um, situations that it, it just didn't, it didn't sound right to me. Um, like for example, I, um, one time I was doing some lab work and I had to, you know, do the whole urine stuff and I'll never forget the, um, I think, I don't know if it was a nurse or a tech who, they told me to leave my sample in the restroom and, you know, no big deal. But then I was, as I left the sample in the restroom and I sat back down in the lobby, I, you know, I was sitting there and I was looking at the door and I was like wondering at what point in his workflow, cause you know, I'm, I'm very systematic. So I'm saying 
at what point in his workflow is he going to actually collect that sample? And I noticed that somebody else had went in and used the restroom and the sample still was not collected yet. So the whole time, you know, in my head, you know, that, that sample is null and void because we don't know what, what that, you know, the second person or the third person who went into the restroom uh, mm-hmm. did with the original sample that I had delivered. And so I wanted to really get into that um, workflow uh, process improvement, um, trying to have uh, as much impact on healthcare as I can. Um, and I, I realized that working with data um, afforded me that um, that ability to really have a positive impact on how healthcare, um, how healthcare cares, right? How how it works. Um, COVID, COVID nineteen has definitely shaped shaped the way we think. Um, you know whether that's you know from a day to day basis, you know wearing mask and you know our viewpoints towards them, but I think it also affected each each and every one of us differently um for me um like i said i I graduated uh last may um so pretty i think covid at that point was maybe three or four months in and there was a lot of uncertainties because i'm you know i i was like oh my god you know i'm about to graduate and everybody's losing their job how am i gonna find how am i gonna get a job during the pandemic um but I think what I realized was how how uh, how important my field was, um, and I was um, blessed and fortunate to have um, multiple different offers um, b- before I graduated. I ended up going the analytics route, um, and not because one position was better than the other, but it goes to show you the impact that COVID had. So one pres- one position that I was offered was to go on the implementation side. But the reason why that one never came to fruition was because COVID kept on pushing back the start date for the for the go lives. And the, the hospital also had to factor in budgets. You know, should we be spending this money on software or should we be spending this money on PPE, uh, PPEs? And mm-hmm. so it was a lot of decisions that they had to make. And, you know, I understood. Um, but in the end, um, you know, I was able to to land. Um, I'm curious, um, what type of experiences did you guys have um, landing that first role, um, either while still studying or um, soon after graduating uh, during the pandemic? I think I graduated. I, I remember I graduated like uh, a month before I met you guys at AMIA. So like literally right before the pandemic and then i remember it was around uh february of 2020 when i actually landed that job however march happened so then when march happened my start date actually got pushed to april and for me it was it was an experience because you know i'm from new jersey the job is in pennsylvania so Imagine moving from one state to a whole new state in the middle of a pandemic. It was, yeah, it was a bit crazy. You know, brand new job, brand new spot, brand new state. And in the middle of the pandemic, not a lot of stores open. So, yeah, the first few months were, they were a little bit tough because 
I was completely in survival mode. I was trying to like, you know, adapt to my job, adapt to my new surroundings, just, you know, just adapt and grow. So, um, yeah, I, I learned a lot from it. I survived it. Thank God. Um, and yeah, since then, since then it's, it's been smooth sailing, you know, I'm really pleased with my job right now. I, can't thank God enough. Um, you know, I've adapted to my surroundings, so that's good. And um, yeah, COVID really, like it was like, you know, it's like it, it knocked us all down, but you know, o- only the strong survive. It's, it, it was survival of the fittest and I was the fittest. So yeah, we're still here. I don't I don't know if if I, if I was one of the fittest cuz I I definitely was not working out during the pandemic and that, oh. that definitely uh, <laughs> I was definitely <laughs> I'm interested AJ how how did the uh pandemic impact your research Wow <laughs> um to be quite blunt it was very demoralizing I can't stress this enough, especially for those who actually have to be communicating and working with patients, not just, you know, giving patient data, but like actually contacting with patients. Uh, I had one colleague of mine uh, said that they had to be delayed because of COVID for graduation. And that happened to me. Um, I'll get a little bit personal here, but before the pandemic, uh, I was given the opportunity to pay my last respect before my grandfather passed away. And it was a very, very slightly chaotic time for me in that case, uh, emotionally. And um, then COVID hit. So it was a bit demoralizing because I couldn't get my data. Uh, my grandfather passed away, so he couldn't necessarily see me graduate. And I was just sitting there doing essentially very little to do with my research. I took the opportunity, as some people would do, to what they consider upskill, but I took time to learn a lot more. I took time to uh, invest in uh, organizations such as um, the University of Cincinnati Science Policy Group, which I helped founded for the National Science Policy Network or NSPN. And I learned a lot more about industry. Um, I knew I always wanted to go in industry, but I didn't know how, um, and I took it upon myself to do that. So all that time while I was waiting, I was just trying to keep myself busy. You know, I would try writing a little bit here. I would try doing a little bit there. Um, but I, I, I focused a lot more on my family, just going to be with them when I could, you know, of course, socially distancing and among other things. And when I finally was given the green light, it was in September. So think about it. We start in March, you know, with what people could say is a shutdown or a lockdown or a quarantine, but it really wasn't. Everybody just kind of did a slight pause on things, right? So it was nearly about um, six to eight months that 
eight that I, I had to wait to get back into the clinic. And so I'd acquired a lot of data for the clinic. And then I came back home for the uh, holidays and found out that again, surges were happening in COVID. So it was either I had to adjourn my um, holiday early and get to see patients or, or, or stay there and possibly lose more time with patients. And so um, I took, I took the initiative again, went to go see patients and miss surging uh, COVID cases. And so losing eight months, literally trying to juggle a whole bunch of research within a one to two month window and then have enough data to prove it. And then given the fact that my data is about preferences and values uh, for patients, that that's what health utilities are about. Those could have easily have shifted the, da shifted the data too. Um, luckily it didn't necessarily do the shifting that may have been noticeable, but, um, it was just very chaotic and I had to learn to be better management with my time, with my emotions. And it made me very much get better at prioritizing on what I cared about and what mattered to me. I think that was the theme of 2020, right? I think 2020 really forced us to really think about what is it that really uh matters to us the most you know because we had you know nothing but time to really on our hands to think about this um it kind of slowed the world down you know every everything was just so fast paced but it kind of slowed down when the uh when when outside quote unquote uh sh closed right um actually i think you could just see this with uh in the informatics world way um, a lot of EHR vendors, a lot of stakeholders that were very guarded about their data had to realize about who the priority was. It's the patients, it's the doctors. And so now you kind of saw the issue with interoperability, meaning that how is data handled and exchanged through different sources really become more evident. And that type of, of fracturing that has happened in the United States uh, became revealing. And so now a lot of people are prioritizing, you know, how can we make this data more accessible to everyone that is a stakeholder in order to make sure that there's enough buy-in and uh, implementation. Um, we've seen how things may not work out as well. Um, Google and Apple being a good example with their contact tracing where it wasn't as good. Um, and of course, if you know about the, the Center for Disease Control, CDC, with their um, cards for uh, vaccinations, not necessarily having a digital way of displaying all that information, right? However moving around the data for different people and working for that interoperability really has been a limelight where we've seen people, at least on the genomic side, say, hey, we have the sequence for COVID-19. Um, here you go, worldwide audience. And that sequence, because it was standardized, was allowing for rapid generation of different vaccines. So that type of prioritization of data and how you we have to work towards making sure things play together and not be siloed together 
uh, became a more focal point for prioritization. And I think it's for the better for patients. And I just want that to be something of a take home because it's the same way with your life where you're going to have a lot of different people and a lot of different stakeholders trying to buy for it. But if you don't have a common theme of what you're focused on, what do you want and respect and, ex- and expect out of them as well as yourself, you know, it's going to be hard to satisfy yourself and hard to prioritize. To add to that, um, you know, we're on this platform now, uh, Zoom. And, you know, before the pandemic, Zoom, I mean, some people used it, some people never heard of it. But after the pandemic, or even because, you know, I mean, we're probably still in it, Zoom became a very big platform to where people can, you know, um, interact with each other. And this translates over into the healthcare world, because one thing that became really, really big during the pandemic was telemedicine and virtual care. And now this new this new way of looking at healthcare because, wow, you can be in the comfort of your own home and still see the doctor. And that kind of like kicks down one of the uh, big roadblocks in healthcare, which like you mentioned is accessibility. So Penn State Health System has multiple offices like all over PA. The main campus is in Hershey, but I work in Reading, which is like, which has one of the community-based hospitals. So sometimes we have Zoom meetings with the team, with them, with the teams over in Hershey. So the lady that has my role in Hershey, I'm able to like just contact her through Zoom and speak to her team. And they speak to my team over in Reading. And um, yeah, we always, um, you know, we always have these Zoom meetings and we always come up with uh, these new projects to, you know, just make our jobs more efficient. So I feel like without Zoom, we would have been driving back and forth. But, you know, because of it, now I could just be at my office and talk to the team over in Hershey. So that's my add-on into Zoom. Mm -hmm. I I even think, you know, know, just for the audience right now, this podcast is being recorded, but I'm based out in... uh, Florida, uh, Chin, I know you're up in uh, Pennsylvania, but we're all in different locations, but yet still we were able to come together to, you know, sh- share our uh, views and our opinions um, on one topic. Um, I'm going, I'm going to go back to AJ because I'm curious. Uh, did you have the option to uh, visit your patients virtually uh, when you were doing your research? You, if, for those that are not aware there is something that we call the digital divide where um, for those that have less resources, they cannot access the internet. You know, it makes things hard because paying for the internet uh, takes a significant amount of resources. You know, it is like paying a utility and I would even qualify that the internet is a utility. And so that resource, especially for those that are low income, uh, is harder to have and be able to access. For the patients that I viewed, which were dialysis patients, they were on the low end of the economic spectrum. So a lot of them could not do telemedicine. In fact, we amended our IRB, uh, our internal review board protocol, 
to include telemedicine. And we, we just had very, very little. And so I had to wait and actually go in and to see patients physically, socially distanced. And so talk about telemedicine. This was one of the greatest things, but also a, clair, a, clair, a clarity agent. So telemedicine is great. I used it multiple times. Sometimes it worked to address some of my needs. Sometimes it didn't. But for my particular health issues, it was nice having that option. Many patients never had the option to for dialysis because they have to go to the clinic three times a week for the dialysis in the first place. But also try to do the research while at the comfort of their home. Many of them don't have access to the internet. They don't have the resources to connect on top of many of them being older. So many of them, so many of them may not have the skills necessary to connect. And so this is the reason why we have to push for a connected internet. There is no if, ands, or buts, or anything about it. It has to happen. Everybody in America has to be wired. To say that the internet is electricity is an understatement. It's, it's essentially, um, in certain cases, a slightly more because if you don't have the internet, you can't pay your electric bill and that shuts down. Um, I know that sounds hilar hilarious, but it is a big thing. We're now seeing that telemedicine took off for those who could afford it. But for those who couldn't, it did very little. And so we should be working towards that. And I really hope that the informatics community can take the time to actually push for equitable diverse internet users, as well as just interneting everything. I know that's not a word, interneting everything, <laughs> but it needs to be a word. Mm -hmm. You know, We electrified everything, now we need to internet everything, at least in the sense of giving everybody internet access. Um, to, I could get more nerdy about the difference between the internet and the web. I'll save that for a different podcast, but we need to internet everything, especially for those in the informatics field because of so much data that we can learn from patients and as well as being able to help us help patients. While you were speaking, what I was thinking, um, in, especially in terms of the um, digital divide, um, that sort of like pinged me towards social determinants of health, right? And it and also it it also pinged me to think about all those students who uh, were sent home to do you know remote learn, but not everyone had access to. Uh, in a stable internet connection. And so not only is healthcare impacted, but also education. And so I, I mean, if, if, you, if, if it's, I, you definitely have my vote, um, I do believe that this should be, you know, should be, I wouldn't say a right, you know, maybe because then it would be, you know, political and ugh, me and politics. Um, but I agree. I, I think it's something that everyone should have access to. Uh, access seems to be this, you know, this buzzword that, you know, we're throwing out and, you know, and it, there's so much uh, metaphors that, you know, you can use, but I don't think that people who are not on the lower end of the spectrum really think about how difficult it is for someone who are in uh, a different shoe than they are 
it is for them to just live the you know just basically survive right and um and yeah i definitely agree that the and um you know we should charge the informatic community to really think deep about you know some of the issues that i'm not saying that they're not already thinking about these things but you know i definitely think we should be working towards um these types of efforts because one of the reasons why i broke into the field is because i wanted to have you know as much impact for as much people as i can you know the bigger the reach the better right um speaking of breaking in i kind of want to also segue into uh for those who are listening who are interested in some of the works that you know aj discussed or chin or myself um what sort of like uh, advice would we give to someone who who's interested in informatics um advice we wish we had when we were breaking in this particular advice um that will sound very tough but it is very important um put patients first regardless of what you're doing um and particularly those that are under-resourced put those patients first whatever you're thinking about all of these issues i think that a lot of people want to rush in into medical and medicine because they think, oh, wow, this is the great adventure. We can cure cancer. We can do all of these things. But all of that doesn't matter. You need to put patients first. You need to think about how these patients operate because it does not matter how good a cure is. If patients can't buy into it, they're not going to take it. We saw that with COVID-19 and the vaccines. If you're making all these models and you don't think about how patients or lack of patient representation may affect um, um, the data and uh, how it shapes up, you will find yourself making models that not only disproportionately hurt people, but it's worse than useless. It's harmful in general. And so how do I factor this in into breaking in? Uh, very simple. Look for programs and look for mentors that you know can put that in front of them, that you know that you can actually have a good cordial relationship with and that you can be blunt about how you want to see informatics grow. And that includes with the patient focus aspect instead of the data focus aspect. Because if you don't have a mentor that's willing to work with you on that philosophy, it won't connect and my and speaking of connect uh feel free to connect with people however they want to and just learn whether they're grad students or they're researchers uh some people are not comfortable with cold calls other people are and you'll know which one some of them are uh you know with the responses but just contact them and get to know what how their program was uh, if, if you're going into the research aspect or as a grad student, uh, how do they view data science and biomedical informatics if they're in industry or in, in every single part of industry or even in government? And from there, you will find yourself at a fresh point of, can I step in? And if you're at that point where you feel like you, can, that you don't know if you can step in, I urge you to step in immediately because that's when you know you're ready. If you don't know you're ready, you're ready for informatics. 
my advice is to be versatile with your skill set. You know, breaking into informatics is not just um, it's not just learning one program and thinking like, oh, I could break it into industry with this. No, you have to. You really have to be versatile. You have to show that. Um, you have to show that you're a person of many hats. So um, I think. Honestly, that's what helped me break into my job is that, um, you know, when I showed them the resume and the amount of program, program and programming languages that I know, they looked at me and said, you know, this is a guy that he has it. He has it all. He has the full package. So my advice is be the full package. Just be the full package. Learn as much as you can. Learn learn everything you can and uh, just be that full packet. I'm going to tap into a little bit of both uh, of what you guys both said um, for AJ. Um, I agree. Connect. If you, if you don't think that informatics is for you, it's for you, right? If you don't think you're ready, you're ready. I thought, you know, before, before I even heard what informatics was, I, I funny story. I actually applied to the master's program. I was accepted but I was like, maybe it's not for me. And I actually went to the program advisor and I was like, look, I don't have a medical background. I have never touched a computer program in my life. I know I was accepted to this program, but you know, you guys made a serious mistake. And I actually, you know, I, I didn't start that semester. And then I actually went back and I reapplied and I got in again. Um, but yeah, I, at first I did, I thought it wasn't for me. I thought I wasn't ready. But like AJ said, if you're if you don't think you're ready, you're ready. Right. And so I think that's definitely good advice, AJ, because I, I can connect with that. Um, definitely. Um, Chin, uh, you mentioned the importance of upskilling and continuously learning. And that's actually something that resonated with me because I consider myself a perpetual learner. One of the things that, you know, really gets me going is you know, being in an environment that's conducive to learning. Um, and it, that might sound funny, but a lot of environments aren't. If you ask questions, you know, you'll get like, uh, you know, condescending answers and, you know, you just don't feel safe to learn in that environment. So working for a company who, you know, throws trainings at you or conferences, because, you know, like that's how we, we, we all met at uh, AMIA back in DC. Mm -hmm. So those type of things are very important to me. Um, I would add to that, you know, connect definitely um, upskilling, but also networking. Um, another uh, little short story is that, you know, while I was in the program getting ready for graduation, um, I had connected with Chin and he, you know, he was also on the job hunt. And because we both knew each other and we both connected and we, you know, we had a similar mindset he was actually, and I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you remember, but he actually had got an offer in Atlanta, but because he are, he had already accepted uh, a different um, offer, you know, when the recruiter called him back and he, you know, declined, he said, Hey, I know somebody who who's looking for, you know, to work in informatics and passed my name along. And um, yeah. And you know, the recruiter was actually shocked. She, I remember she mentioned to me, she was like, 
wow, that's a really good friend. I had never came across uh, anyone who, you know, got a job offer and passed the offer to someone else. And um, it just really speaks volume to the importance of networking because, you know, we're all employed right now. So if something comes across our, our plate and we know somebody else who's looking, we can easily, you know, AJ shares jobs all the time on his LinkedIn. You know, if he knows somebody who's looking for to fill up to fill a position or a role, he can share that with his network. Um, so definitely networking is important um, to breaking into informatics, finding people who you can um, shadow, who's willing to be a mentor and have a um, a relationship where you guys can learn and, and grow is are all excellent ways to jump into this field. Guys, it's been a pleasure. I've had a great time discussing one of my passions and love uh, for informatics with you guys. Um, I do want to give you guys a chance to close. And also, if you want to share any contact information, AJ, I know you're doing some interesting stuff with a gambler. Maybe someone wants to connect and learn more about your research. Uh, so I'll turn that over to you guys now to share your different um, connection handles. Okay. So I have to plug in. Um, as a researcher, my field that I did a dissertation in could be summed up as one word, equiformatics, where it is looking at ways to improve health for those that are under-resourced and those that are including the uh, aspects of, diver of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, you can learn more about that coming up soon when my dissertation comes out. But in the meantime, you can find me on LinkedIn as uh, Dr. AJ Adejare. Follow me. I'm always willing to share and connect with people. And if you want to find bad tweets, you can get me at my handle, Kyrie Elson. And you can learn more about The Gambler by looking up the paper, um, an automatic, uh, automated health utility assessment tool, The Gambler 2. There is more information about it. If you want to look more into health utilities and share decision making, hit me up on my socials. And um contact us and i'll let you learn more about it for me well i'm i'm also on linkedin you could uh just search up my full name chinaduma hobuche and if you guys want to learn more about what i'm doing tune in next time